best. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, uh, verse, verses four through nine. I'm gonna talk about faith and uh, faith that is uh, it's transferable. It's, it's something that we can impart. It's something that we can leave a legacy of. Um, but then I'm gonna get into the, the idea of women uh, preaching, women leading, women pastoring. And uh, so I'm gonna need you to buckle your seatbelt and put on your steel-toed boots uh, because for some of you who, who have maybe grown up in, in uh, some tradition, this might come as a shock to you. And uh, to some of you, there's gonna be a part of you that wants to get up and maybe even leave uh, during this service. But don't do that to your mom. Not today. Just put your seatbelt on, hang in there. And uh, I, I, this is one of those messages that if there isn't somebody wrestling with this in the congregation today, then I've not done my job. And uh, I, I, I could have avoided this altogether, but I think it needs to be said. I've, over the past year, had to deal with the idea of women in ministry probably more than any year of the 20 plus years I've been preaching, uh, having to answer questions about women in ministry. And I think that what happens uh, because all around the world, there are movements where, where women are being um, liberated. <laughs> and uh, as much as there are some negative things to some of these movements, there's so much positive about women discovering who they are and uh, coming out from under the tyranny and assault of men. You can say amen to that. It's okay. Your wife would probably appreciate it if you said Amen. And so there's something so good about all of that. But what happens when, any, when anybody tries to get free, what the enemy does is he grabs a little bit tighter and he holds on a little bit longer. So I feel like this issue has been coming up more. The question of should women preach? Should women be in ministry? Can women be pastors? Can women lead? Can they even talk in church? Uh, I feel like that question has risen more because uh, God is doing things to set women free. And at the same time, the, the enemy recognizes the power of that. So he's doing things to bring women back into bondage. And I'm not doing this because I'm woke. <clears throat> I'm wide awake, but I'm not doing it because I'm woke. Or I'm trying to be the, the, the next woman thou art loosed. I'm not, that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I believe this is what the Bible teaches. And I wouldn't say it otherwise. So I need you to hear my heart. And this isn't, I'm not here for, this isn't a debate. I don't need a letter correcting me afterwards. I don't, I'm not gonna have a meeting with you after this is over because I've made up my mind. All we would do is argue and I don't wanna argue with you about it. This is who this church is going to be. And this church isn't for everybody. And uh, we make sure, and that's why we have a membership class to teach you what we believe what we believe about marriage, what we believe about life, what we believe about the gifts, what we believe so that you can make up your mind, this is or isn't the place that God has me. And uh, this might be one of those moments where you say, I just can't roll with you any longer. And that's fine because Amos 3 and 3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree? So I need you to understand this isn't something that we're gonna argue or debate about for the next 20 years. This is who we are. And we're gonna get into that in just, just a moment. So first of all, Deuteronomy chapter six, and you're like, wow, it's Mother's Day. Thanks. <laughs> hey, at, at, least, at least I didn't make, my friends all over the country, their wives are preaching on Mother's Day. And I'm like, that's the worst possible thing you can do to a woman on Mother's Day. Like, hey, it's Mother's Day. Work all day long. 
some of them have like five services, six. And I'm like, what are you doing that to your wife for? They're like, well, I'm watching the kids for them. Like, okay. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. The Bible says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be written upon your own hearts, but impress them on your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We're commanded. We are, we are commanded by God to not let our faith die with us. We're commanded by God to teach our faith, to pass on God's commands, to pass on his word, to transfer our faith to the next generation. Uh, we, we, we had a clear picture of it five years ago when on a Friday night, uh, my dad, who had pastored this church for 30 years, uh, walked across the stage and he took a prayer shawl and he took that prayer shawl and he threw it over my shoulders. And I don't know if you were in the room that night, but if, if you saw me, I was good that whole night up until that moment. Because when that prayer shawl hit me, it wasn't just that prayer shawl that hit me. There was something that was imparted in that moment. There was something that was transferred in that moment. And I believe that if you were in the room that night, you didn't just see that shawl transferred. You felt something shift in the entire room. And there's something to this thing that God says, I have given the parents, I have given you the opportunity and the authority to pass on to transfer this faith to the next generation, and it's your responsibility to do it. So not only should these commands be written on your heart, but you should impress them upon your children. You should talk about them day and night. You should always be talking about the Lord. You should always be discussing the Lord. He should be so much in the forefront of your mind that you should write his name over the doorpost of your home. You should put remembrances of him around your house. You should put scripture on the counter. You should read the Bible. You should pray. You should talk about the Lord. He should always be coming up in your home and in their minds. And if you do this, your faith won't die with you. Is there anybody in this room thankful that your faith that you have isn't going to die with you, but it's going to, it's going to continue on. Come on in the lives of your kids and in your grandkids. It's going to transfer. It's going to transfer. And we see a clear picture of that in second Timothy chapter one, verses one through seven. The Bible says here, Paul is speaking and he's writing and he says to Timothy, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am also persuaded it is in you. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I wonder if right now we could just take a praise break for all the moms and grandmas whose faith made an impact on us. 
all the aunts, all the Sunday school teachers, all the teachers, everybody who's made an impact on our faith. Nobody in this room is self-made. You didn't just show up. Somebody brought you here. Somebody prayed for you. You might not have even have met them, but somebody was praying for you. You didn't come to this faith on your own. Matter of fact, the faith that you had to put in Christ in the first place was given to you by God. You realize that? You didn't just come up with this idea of faith. The Bible teaches us that every man has been given a measure of faith. That God, the faith that you put in him, he gave it to you in the first place. And then when you live this life of faith, you don't live it by your own faith. You live it by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for you. Can somebody say amen that I am not self-made? I didn't get here by myself. I'm grateful that in my life, I had a mom who loves Jesus. She is in love with Jesus. And my mom has passed on so much to me and my brother and my sister so much of her faith, so much of her character, so much of her resilience is in us because of who she was. I believe that Timothy saw the same type of example in his mother and his grandmother. I'm thankful today that I have a grandma. I have two grandmas. One of them is still here. One of them has gone on to be with Jesus. But both of my grandmas were praying women. Both of my grandmas were full of faith. And I tell you what, my dad wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for my grandmother. He wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for my grandmother. She prayed for him when nobody else would pray for him. She, she followed him and pursued him when nobody else was pursuing him. She didn't quit on him when he quit on the family. Matter of fact, the day my dad got saved, he had rebelled, he had ran away from home, and because my grandmother had been praying for him, the Holy Ghost showed up in his car, and he repented, he confessed Jesus as Lord, he got his butt back home, and he started preaching the gospel. I am thankful who, for grandmas and mamas who refuse to give up on us. I'm grateful. For some of you, it might not have been a grandma or grandma. It might have been an aunt. And she might, she might have just knocked your door down all the time. She might have persisted and been all over you when nobody else was talking to you. She might have been the one who came up to you and said, you ain't got no business acting like that, son. You ain't got no business talking like that. She was that one who kept continually putting Jesus and his call in front of you and constantly pursuing you until one day you said, you know what, enough is enough. If she ain't gonna leave me alone, I might as well give in to this thing. I'm telling you that I am thankful today for people who refuse to give up on us, people who wouldn't stop praying for us, people, I'm telling you, I'm thankful for moms who continue to visit their sons in prisons and they don't give up on them just because they failed and made a mistake. I'm thankful for moms who continue to follow their kids through all of their sin, through all of their struggle, who won't close the door on them, who won't say, no, you're not welcome here, who won't say, no, you can't come into this house. But every time, even in their sin, opens up the door and says, hey, this is home. Let me put my arms around you and show you how Jesus is going to welcome you when you decide to come back home to him. Is there anybody in here grateful for the people who made a way for you to be here today. I'm grateful. Timothy had this example. He had a mom and a grandma. And I believe that there are two ways that you can, you can make a lasting legacy impression with your faith, as seen in scripture here in 2 Timothy chapter one. The Bible says this, 2 Timothy chapter one, it says that 
he had these incredible people that had passed on their faith. It says two distinct things about their faith. It says it was in them and it was genuine. It was in them and it was genuine. Paul knew that the genuine faith Timothy Timothy exercised was a part of a godly heritage that had been passed on to him. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Rob, I don't have a real godly heritage, but can I tell you, you can begin one today. Maybe you are Lois. Maybe you're the first in your family to say yes to Jesus and begin to establish a heritage of faith in the, in the lineage and legacy of your life. I love what Brian Houston said one time. He said, listen, not everything that God is gonna do for you is gonna happen in your lifetime, but you can count on this, it will happen in your lifeline. <laughs> Come on, the faithfulness of God lasts to a thousand generations. If he tarries and he doesn't come, for a, from a thousand generations from now, God is gonna be going after your great, 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 Why? Because of your faith. And so I make a promise to you, God says, that when you put your faith in me, you can trust me for the next thousand generations with your kids. And Timothy saw it. He saw it. And they impacted him in two different ways. Let me give them to you. The first way is this, by living out their faith. By living out. It was, it was something that the Bible says it was in them. It dwelt in them. That word there means to inhabit or to be infixed. It was a fixture in their life. It wasn't an external thing that had happened to them only but it was something that was so powerful that it worked its way on the inside and it was affecting every area of their life. They were, they were filled with God. They didn't just act like a Christian on Sunday, but they were filled with God to the point that they talked to people right on Tuesday and they treated people at the grocery store right on Wednesday and they were respectful to their coworkers on Thursday. It was something that made such an impact in, in his life and in their life that it wasn't just something external that you could see at church. It was something internal that made a real difference in the real life that they were living in the earth. I just want somebody to know today that your life is making a difference. Whether you ever stand in front of an audience and speak the word of God, your life is making an impact. It is changing somebody somehow, some way. And I am thankful for women and for men who have a faith that is infixed. It's not a faith that says, oh, I'm just going to show up on Sunday and praise God, but I'm going to talk however I want on Monday. It's a faith that says, I'm going to be the same person on Monday that I was on Sunday. I'm going to be praising the same God on Wednesday that I was praising on Sunday. Is there anybody in this room thankful for people that aren't hypocrites? Thankful for people who live what they say, who act how they talk, who do what they say. I'm telling you this because it's important. It's important for us to see examples of faith that works. 
James said, faith without works is dead. It makes no impact on people. It isn't helping anybody. Why? Because you can get in church and you can run around and you can shout and you can throw up your hands and that not make a difference in anybody's life. God said, I want you to do more than just show up and sing some songs and lift your hands and run around and dance and act crazy for me. I want you to be so in love with me, so infixed with me, so, so inhabited by me that it affects the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you live, the way you treat your wife. See, I don't want, I don't want you showing up at church, lifting your hands on Sunday and yelling at your wife on Monday. I don't want you showing up at church and dancing on Sunday and hitting your husband on Monday. I want you to be the same person all the time. I want there to be some integrity about your life. And when Timothy looked at his mom and his grandma, he saw integrity. He saw genuine faith. It was the real deal. It was a faith that was, that was not just something that happened in a moment, but it was faith that had been, been tested by life. Listen to me. Don't trust a faith that hasn't been tested. And Timothy looked at their lives and he said, man, their faith has been tested. Because of that, they made an impact in two ways. The first one was they lived it out, but they also taught now watch this, because they lived what they taught, when they taught, it gave their words weight. See, because you can teach what you know, but you can only reproduce who you are. See, there's a lot of stuff I know about. But there are a lot of things that I truly have no business teaching with authority because I've not walk through. I remember when I was a youth pastor. Have you ever had, you ever had a, you ever had a kid, person without kids tell you how to raise kids? <laughs> Don't you just want to pick them up and throw them? Just, <laughs> it's like, you have no clue what you're talking about. I, I was a youth pastor for about 12 years. And man, I thought, I thought I knew how to raise kids, especially teenagers. Cause I was around teenagers all the time. I had specific insight into teenagers. I, I knew what all the parents should do with their kids. And I, I would tell Monica, listen, if, when, when we have kids, we're never going to do that. And we're never going to allow that. And that's never going to happen to our kids. And our kids are going to, and then I had a teenager. <laughs> and all that stuff I thought I knew about parenting, I didn't know anymore. I remember saying one time this kid did something. I said, my kid would never do that. They would know better. They ought to know better. It's because their parents aren't teaching them the right things. And then I got a kid doing the same thing. And I'm like, that one must be filled with the devil. That's all that is. That ain't, that ain't even my fault. <laughs> Isn't that funny? There, there, there are certain things that, that when you say them, because you have experienced them, your words have weight. My, uh, my, my dad... Um, I've, I've watched as, as he's preached here over the past five years and as he preached for 30 years to the church. And, and I've watched, even in these past five years, as he has said something about marriage or family or raising kids or something, I've watched him say it and I've watched those words hit the congregation with more weight than when I say it. Why? Because he's actually raised kids who now have kids. People say all the time, oh, you're a great parent. I said, we really won't know. <laughs> until my kids begin to raise kids. Yes. 
And so I can teach parenting because the Bible gives me some insight and I've got four children, but there are just certain things that I say that don't have the same weight because I haven't walked through them. I could get up here all day long and say, hey, you got a bad report from the doctor. They said, you got cancer. Have faith in God. And it could mean something. There could be some weight to that. Because I've walked through some things, but I've never got a report that says you got cancer and you're gonna die. And I've never had to respond to that report. So I can get up here and say have faith in God, but I don't know how I would react until I'm put in that situation. Can I encourage you, never say never. Oh, I never would. My marriage would never, my wife would never say that about my kids would never. Oh my goodness, you are setting yourself up because the never you said is gonna become the every day of your existence if you're not careful. Oh, I would never act that way. I would never. Uh, did you see that person when they got that report? Did you see how they, they doubted and, and they didn't trust God and, 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 and they, they were negative? Can, I would never act like that. You Really? I remember, I'll never forget this. I've said this before, before but I, 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 love, I love this example. <laughs> there was a, a friend of mine, and, and we, were, we, were, we, were, uh, we had just been told that one of our friends had had, had an affair, and, and we were sitting there, and we were just heartbroken over it, and he looked at me, and he said, I would never do that to my spouse. And I said, that's because nobody has ever wanted you. <laughs> So, you, the reason you can say never is because you've never been in that position. So you don't know how you would react. But I love, I love that Timothy's faith was so impacted because he had seen a faith that had been tested over some years. He looked at his grandmother, who was, who was, who was an elderly woman, and she's saying, God is good. God is faithful. God has always come through for me. He's never left me nor forsaken. It's one thing for a 19-year-old to say, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. But it's another thing for an 85-year-old man who's had everything go against him and his wife has passed away to look at you and say, he will never leave you nor forsake you. There's so Something different when you've got experience that changes the weight of the words. Whew. That's good. And we need to understand that. We need to respect that. We need to come to grips with that. It's okay. So they lived it out. He saw it. And, and, and they taught it because, watch this, uh, 2 Timothy Chapter 3, 14 through 15 says, But continue in the things which thou hast learned and thou hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Watch this. He says, The confidence you have in the things you have learned comes from the confidence you have in the one who taught it to you. So you can be confident and you can be assured of the things you've heard because of the faith of the people that told it to you. Whew. Man, that's good. And he says, And that from a child... Thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Deuteronomy 4. Remember it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be written upon your hearts, but impress them on your children. Watch this. Your kids will never be impressed by something that isn't written on your heart. 
If it has made no difference in your life, why would they expect it to make any difference in theirs? If your Christianity is just something you do on Sunday and it's not made any real impact in your life or changed your life, then why would you expect them to be impressed by something that's not even written in your own heart? I wanna move into something that's kind of a shift in the sermon, right? Two ways that you can, as a mom, even as a husband, any, anybody, as a, as a woman, a man, leave a legacy of faith, is you live it out and then you teach what you live. But I wanna move into something because we see here that so much of Timothy's life was impacted by women who, who taught him his mother and his grandmother. That brings me to this idea of, of women teaching, women leading. And I have to say I have an opinion on that, but it's not based on my feeling. I believe that it's based on God's word. Because opinions are like armpits, right? Everybody's got one and sometimes they smell. <laughs> so to me, it's not just my opinion. It's truly what I believe and I interpret as God's word on women in ministry functions. And uh, I don't need you to like it. I don't, because this might not be the church for you but I need you to understand that if this is the church for you, this is how we're gonna function and this is how we're gonna treat women, okay? I wanna, I wanna address two verses in particular that challenge the idea of women teaching and leading in church. And I wanna give you, uh, in a short period of time, uh, some sort of historical, cultural context, uh, the actual surrounding verses and a tone of scripture context. I believe those are the three ways that you should interpret the Bible, by the way. When you read the Bible, you should interpret the Bible. You should look at it and say, who is he talking to? What is the, what is the moment? What's the crowd? What's the history? Where are they at? What's the culture? Second thing is you should interpret the text by the scripture surrounding the text. You should never pull a scripture out and build a doctrine off of that scripture. We've done that throughout history, and that's just wrong. And then there's another way we look at the tone of Scripture. Is the whole Bible saying one thing, but this verse seems to be saying something else? So if the whole Bible is saying one thing and this verse is saying something else, then that means that we need to investigate that verse to see why it seems like a contradiction so that we can make it make sense with the rest of Scripture. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So, for instance, people throughout history have used the Bible to give authority to all types of atrocities and whores. For instance, people have used the Bible to justify slavery. They have. They've taken Scripture out of context. They have taken Scripture like Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, talks about, says, slaves, you should... Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and sincerity of heart 
just as you would obey Christ. See, God's okay with slavery. Uh, no, that is not the tone of scripture. So let's talk about the historical context. The historical context is that slavery was a part of the culture. And Jesus understood and his disciples understood that there was no way within that brief period of time that they were gonna overturn or overrule or outlaw or get rid of slavery. So the best option was for people who were slaves to treat their masters with respect. If you read the context now, so you got the historical context. Now you got the context of the surrounding scripture to treat them with respect so that the gospel would be held in high honor. Why? Because the goal was to convert the slave owner to faith in Jesus so that the slave owner would come to an understanding, a revelation of freedom in Christ. At the least, they would stop treating them like slaves. At the best, they would release them and let them go. That's the context. How do you know that the Bible doesn't justify slavery? Well, let's read a verse from the Bible. First Timothy 1 and 10 says that slave trading is immoral and not sound doctrine for the church. Pretty clear. That's the tone of the entirety of Scripture. God didn't even, God didn't even want uh, the people in the Old Testament treating people horribly, abusing the people that were working for them. Literally, if you hurt somebody that was working for you, you hurt them and you wounded them and you hit them and you hurt their eye, you had to let them go. There, there's, there's so much scripture where the Bible teaches us, the New Testament tells us that, hey, if you're a slave and you can get free, get free. Don't say a slave. So the tone and tenor of scripture is that slavery is immoral. How many of you would agree slavery is immoral? Exactly. But some people have taken the same Bible and pulled out some of, this, some of the verses when it comes to women and tried to build doctrine on it. And it's not applicable to what they're trying to use it for. Okay. First example, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. Paul says this. He instructs, he says, let the women keep silent in church. So every woman who said amen this morning, no more. <laughs> every woman who sang during worship, enough of that. And to all these rebellious women that were singing and no more. I saw you over here singing with your shirt. And she was wearing pants. What is happening? What is happening in this world? So let's look at the context. The context of 1 Corinthians 14 is that there is a church in Corinth and it's out of order. Not only is it out of order when it comes with men and women in their relationships, it's out of order when it comes to prophecy. It's out of order when it comes to speaking in tongues. They're speaking in tongues. There's no interpretation of tongues. People are coming in thinking they're crazy because they're acting foolish. The whole thing is out of order. And let's get the context for what Paul means when he says, let's, let's, let's make sure the women stay silent in church. Let's read verse 35. Verse 35 tells us this. It says that the reason this was happening is because during the service, <laughs> if the women want to learn anything, let them ask of their husbands at home. Apparently, the problem Paul was dealing with was women causing a disruption. In other words, what was happening is while the person was talking up front, the women were going, why? Because they weren't allowed to sit together in the culture. Remember, you gotta understand the history and the culture. 
They weren't sitting together. They were sitting on opposite sides because they couldn't be together. It was so legalistic. So women are over here, men are over here, and, and the women who were not allowed to be educated like the men, they didn't understand everything that was being said. Sometimes a woman would go, hey, what's he saying? In the middle of church. It'd be, it'd be like you sitting there in the pew and having a loud conversation with your husband while I'm preaching. That's what Paul is talking about. And he's talking in the context of everything about this church is out of order. Can we get some order? Can you wait till you get home to ask your husband a question? That's what he's saying. And people, men, have taken this verse out of context and said, God wants women to be quiet in church. When the same book says that men and women both prophesy. The same book, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11, 4 and 5 says, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. First of all, do, have you ever worn a hat to church? You dishonored God. Have, have you ever as a woman prophesied with your head uncovered, not one of those beautiful Easter hats on? You dishonored God according to scripture? No, it's cultural. It's relevant for the day. It was the rule and law of the temple. Thank God we have upgraded to hoodies and jeans with tears in them. It was cultural. We don't still wear sandals today. Some of you do to church. That's an abomination. Put your toes away. First Robbie chapter one. That is nasty. So let's interpret the Bible correctly. And, and when you interpret it this way, it fits perfectly into the overall context of history, the surrounding verses, and the tone of Scripture. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, you look at someone like Deborah. She was, she was leading God's people. She was prophesying. She was speaking, thus says the Lord. Esther, who God used to stand in the gap and speak on behalf of God for the entire nation. When he wanted to talk to the king, he didn't send a man, he sent Esther. All the way through scripture to the New Testament, Luke chapter two, you see a woman named Anna who was in the temple prophesying, praising God, declaring the word of the Lord. She's telling people, the Bible says, about the boy, the baby who would come and save Israel. She's preaching in the temple about Jesus. <laughs> Man. So let's go to 1 Timothy 2 and 12. 1 Timothy 2 and 12, Paul says, I do not suffer, permit a woman to teach or usurp authority over a man. Again, let's look at the surrounding text. Paul also says in that, same chapter, he says, I would that all men everywhere pray, lifting up their hands. Do you always lift your hands when you pray? Sinner. No, that's not what he's saying. Keep reading. He says, I, pray, I, I want all men to pray, lifting up their hands, to stop fighting and grumbling. Apparently, 
they were using their hands to hurt each other. And the apostle was saying, I want you to lift, to stop hitting each other and using your hands for harm. I want you to use your hands for praise. That's what he's saying. And then he, then he turns and he says, he says some interesting stuff. He says, so, so also I don't want the ladies braiding their hair, wearing jewelry or expensive clothes. Man, so many of y'all would be disqualified right now. I see braids. I see some jewelry. See, some of y'all didn't get that from Target. You went to Nordstrom and got that. I see you. It's context. It's cultural. It's relevant to them because of the, the history of where they're at. The reason he said that is because it was so common for many of the women who were a part of the, the mysticism and the occult to dress like that. So he, was, he wanted them to, to stand out to be different than, than those women. And so when you come to the context of, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over man, he goes on to say, he goes, oh, by the way, Adam was created first and then Eve. He's literally talking in the context of marriage. The word that is translated man and the word that is translated husband, the word that is translated wife and the word that is translated woman are the same word in the Greek. Can I tell you, I love the translators of the Bible and I think for the most part, they got, the, they got everything correct, but I do believe this, that some of their male leanings and desire for control won out when they were translating the Bible. There's a verse that's so powerful, and in almost every translation, it says this, the Lord gives the word of power, and the women who bear and publish the news are a great host. You know what the King James Version says? The Lord gives the word, and a great host brings the good news. It's clearly in the Hebrew a feminine pronoun, feminine use, it's speaking about women, but they refused to put it in there because it lined up with what they wanted. So literally what Paul is saying in 2 Timothy is he's saying this. He's saying, listen, I don't permit a woman to exercise authority over her husband to teach her. In other words, he's saying in this context, women were being very manipulative they were trying to control. They were trying to assert authority. And Paul said, that's not, that's not good order. He's not saying women can't teach. Women can't preach. Women can't lead. Women can't be pastors. Women can't be deacons. And people go, well, first Tim or Timothy or Titus. And, and they throw up all of these scriptures. Let me give you a couple more. Second um, Timothy three and two, verse 12, Titus one and six teach that, you know, says that an elder or a deacon must be a husband of one wife. And people have pulled that out of context and said, well, uh, an elder must be married. Well, then Paul was writing and disqualifying his own self because Paul wasn't married. <laughs> the reason he said husband of one wife is because polygamy was a problem for the Jews. Have you read the Old Testament? Solomon had a few hundred They, they had an issue. 
Paul's saying, listen, in the kingdom, we're gonna do this one wife thing. And is there anybody in here who's just grateful that, that he just clarified that? Like, I can barely handle one, much less three. My God. I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best. She said, a husband of one wife. And if he meant that elders and deacons had to be men, then why in the world was there a woman named Phoebe that he called a deacon in the church? Why in the world in Philippians chapter four, verse three, would he name women and call them co-laborers in the gospel? Why in the world would Philip have four daughters that prophesied and they were unmarried? Why in the world would Corinthians give us a list of gifts and say that the Spirit gives these gifts to whom he wills? He didn't say, hey, there's a list of gifts, but can I tell you, there's like two or three that women can't do. (laughs) And there's like all these other ones that are for the men. Just wanted you to know, manpower. (laughs) Keep them women in control. They get crazy sometimes. What in the world? What is this teaching that has tried to divide us that has tried to shut the mouth. Because watch this, statistically, women make up a bigger percentage of the church than men do. So what the enemy understands is if he he can shut up over half of the voices of Christianity, he can keep the faith from being transferred to the next generation. But that's not gonna happen here. That's not gonna happen here. So today, hey, if you're a mom or you're a woman, this is what I encourage you to do. I encourage you, hey, preach, sing, write, lead, pastor, do whatever God calls you to do. The book of Acts tells us in that chapter 18, there was a woman named Priscilla and her husband Aquila, and that they taught a man named Apollos a more excellent way. And I love that the Bible is so cool. It just kind of, it does this to just kind of give you a little hint. It just mentions Priscilla first. Just so you understand, hey, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor nor female. We all obviously have our own distinctions in, in our nature and in our makeup. But God says in the church, women can preach, women can prophesy. Matter of fact, they did in the church. They preached and prophesied. Are you telling me that God is going to trust a woman to hear from heaven and speak a declared word from heaven of God to a church, but she can't teach the known Bible? She can hear from, she's trusted to hear from heaven and to prophesy, but she's not trusted to read a book and to adequately teach it. Come on, your tradition lied to you. Your tradition tried to keep your mama in a corner and say she was only good if she was at home washing clothes and doing dishes. But women are more than washing clothes and doing dishes. They are preachers, they are prophets, they are leaders, they are business owners, they are senators. They're probably gonna be a president pretty soon. And I thank God for what he is doing in our moms, in our grandmas, and in the women in this day. Can somebody give God some praise this morning? He's using women to declare the word. Amen. I need to let you go. It's 1141. 
but we're gonna talk about these things. I've been talking to our staff. I need to start a series called God Didn't Say That. Just so much wild stuff that's out there. And, and, and can I say, most of the time we believe it because it's tradition, we grew up in it, and it's all we know. Just like faith can be passed on, bad doctrine can be passed on. And, and can I tell you, it's, it's maturity to be able to say, maybe the thing that was passed on to me wasn't the right thing. I told my dad the last year before the transition, I said, Dad, this is what I need to do this last year. I need to make sure I believe what I believe. Before I become the pastor of this church, I need to make sure that I'm not just saying this because you said it. I need to make sure I'm saying this because I know this is what you believe. And so I went into an intense study of doctrine and every basic doctrine of Christianity to make sure I believe this for myself. And you need to do that. Some of you, it's not just that you've been passed on bad ideas about women, you've been passed bad ideas about other races. You hate people from other faiths when the Bible never teaches us to hate people from other faiths. We're called to love them and convert them just like the sinner. That's why I need a series. It's 11.43. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I'm praying that some clarity was brought. Any captives were set free. And if anybody's mad... I'm just praying that they would go home and read it for themselves. Do like the Bereans did in scripture. Don't take my word for it. Go home and study it out for yourself. See what the totality of scripture says. See what the surrounding verses say. And see what the historical context is saying. And find it for themselves. It's much better believed and it's much more real if you discover it for yourself. And so I encourage that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 I'm going to dismiss you. Um, but it, listen, if you need prayer, we've got a prayer team that would love to talk to you. Uh, you got questions, you got uh, 